My time is yours. I was the last My man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. I am Rob. Sid, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Rob. How are you doing today? You know, I'm having a blast, as always, and it's because of the people we get to chat to uh, while we're doing our show. And today... Go ahead. No, I I was about to say that we are really lucky to have the people we do have on our show, and today's guest is really nice of him to come down and, and do a show with us as well. No, absolutely. This guy has been a friend of mine for quite some time. It's C.F. Benner from Black Fawn, and I'll just leave it at Black Fawn because, as you'll tell us in a minute, there's distribution and there's film. So, Benner, how are you? Yeah. Hi, great, great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to pleasure to do this for sure. And, uh, yeah, I, I work for Black Fawn. Uh, well, I work for Black Fawn Films and Black Fawn Distribution uh, up here in uh, Toronto. Um, I also uh, operate at the Guelph as well. Uh, which is about an hour west of Toronto, for those who don't know. And um, yeah, like I said, there's, uh, there's, there's, it, it's Black Fawn is the brand. Uh, we have two companies, uh, two arms of the company. One is a production arm, which is Black Fawn Films, and then Black Fawn Distribution is the, um, is the distribution arm. Uh, I run the distribution arm and help out uh, with anything I can on the on the production side of things too. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the production side of things. I'm, I'm called when needed, basically. So a call goes out and. I don't have a bat phone or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> I get emails and then I, I carry out those tasks too. So That's awesome. Awesome. I consider these guys the wrestlers of the film industry because, as you know, unless you're in the thick of things with, the, with your fans, you don't know what they want. And no, you don't. That's what these guys do. I met them at a convention for the first time, and that's, they hit every single convention of any type to, to show their movies, talk to fans, and, and see what the, the pulse is really. Right. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that we did right from the get go. We were we I mean we release horror films as well. I should have should have mentioned that earlier. But uh, um, so like the horror fans and uh, the horror horror filmmakers, the horror community, it is a community, and um, you know it's it is it is about kind of getting out there and and meeting people and and figuring out kind of you know you have to try and have your finger on the pulse and we think we do uh we're not always right but but also like uh, uh like you mentioned rob like and just like just kind of like wrestling like you kind of have to work the crowd a bit and you have to kind of figure out what people want and also and also you just have to tell people what you have to sometimes right because if you don't nobody knows so exactly but that's true with yours like sid you made your documentary and it's it's not widely out there but it was done at some festivals right right it's been to a few festivals but you you know, when I love going to film festival. One, you get to meet a lot of new people. You get to see a lot of different things are happening. I'll tell you about the, that little short film. I, Rob, you heard me tell about guy. I think it was um, uh, Owen uh, Wilson, uh, Luke Wilson, did a one. You, and if you haven't seen it, guys, you got to watch it. It's called Satellite Beach. It's about taking the Endeavor's uh, space shuttle to California and put it into its final resting place. And this Luke Wilson or Owen Wilson, one of the two, I can't remember remember which brother it was um he, he goes along with it and talks to all the news crews long story short he's not part of it at, at all 
Um, but you get to see new things like that. You wouldn't see at your local theater or, and then you get to know maybe what you might go with your next film to a film festival as well. What's, what's happening and what's not happening. Exactly. That's, that's the thing I think I like about too, with, uh, with Benner and Black Fawn too. Like the last one they did, I'll take your dead. It's actually a father daughter movie with horror elements tossed in and it's a nice cool. switch, a great idea. So now I'm going to bring this back to yours because when we were talking about your film, can you, can you tell us the title and, and basically what made you decide to do it? Are you, you talking to me? Oh, Rob? sorry. Yeah, that was for you. Sid. I know you can't okay. tell on the computer, but I am looking at you. <laughs> okay. No, what, what, what it was, Chris, uh, after the movie, the wrestler came out and, that movie, there was nothing in that movie that wasn't true, and maybe things were even more tame than real life. But I wanted to show uh, something on the other spectrum, where there was no cussing, you know, there was no uh, foul language. There was, and it was only 15 minutes that made it a short. That way, it was easy for people to watch. But I just really, that was it. I just wanted to show a different side of the wrestling business that no one hardly gets a chance to see. And for me, Chris and Rob, it, to me, it's a challenge. It's easy to go out in front of a crowd and flip people off and spit on people and cuss people and uh, you know do a blade job and all that. But when you go out and you can't do that, you're sort of handcuffed. And you probably see this in some films you do, Chris, where uh, maybe it might be challenging to you to be able to do things in film that um, you, you know other people aren't doing. Do you ever handcuff yourself in film? Um, so I guess the biggest challenge is that, um, uh, it is coming up with a concept, right? Like coming up with an idea and it doesn't need to be like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, but you definitely need to be, you need to come up with something that is, um, uh, is just a, a little bit more out there than anything that's come before it. And not in a, not in a crazy or zany way or anything like that. Um, the, the best way I had it described to me is, is, um, and it is, is that you just have to add to the genre. So if you're making, let's say, any type of horror movie, like whether it's like a vampire movie or a zombie movie or or a slasher movie, anything like that, like what are you adding? What are you adding to that to that genre? So, sure, you can have a killer, and you know that's a very that's a very basic plot, right? But I mean, how are you how are you making that different than anything that's come before? Um, right. You know, it's kind of hard to beat the masters, right? So it's it's you know if you're trying to make a movie like Halloween. You, <laughs> Like nobody, it's not going to be the same. Or you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth. Those are like those are the classics of horror, right? For for slashers. Um, but it's just like, can you take that concept and add something to it? So you're right. You can very easily get handcuffed doing the same thing over and over again. Um, but I think that the challenge is is to come up with something uh, slightly new. Um, and I think that resonates with people a lot more than 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 companies think I, I think that people do like the idea when they find something and they're like oh i like that because it's different and it's new and you know word of mouth is a big thing that i don't think a lot of people pay attention to because um bad news travels like wildfire and good news travels like you know molasses in january so it's it's uh it's it's tricky but it's definitely if you can get that kind of momentum going on a great idea like a, something fresh uh, it'll, it'll pay dividends in the long run Oh, there's there's a horror movie in the background. Right? <laughs> That's yeah. a, we got a slasher going around, going on in the background back there. No, I did a slasher movie. I'm doing one right now with this stupid kid of mine. No, uh, I did one that's called Stranded. And uh, Chris and Rob, sort of like you're saying, Chris, that they did change it up a little bit to where I remember we did some screenings of it in Gainesville, Georgia, and we had really a, a 
re- two reactions. He had one where the people would scream out of fear, and then at the end, they all cried. And what it was is I was um, long. Uh, well, it's just a thirty-minute film. I was uh, I was actually a, a detective or a sheriff, and me and my I had um, me and my son had fallen in this place called the Georgia Gulch or something, this big valley. But they didn't. So in the movie, they didn't know if I was the slasher, the monster, or the the zombie, or the other guy was. And at the end of it was they figured it out. They showed me in a picture of my kid, and uh, you know, when we were still alive, and it said. And the, they, I can't remember the guy's name. Rob McClellan is the one that did the film. We brought in a guy from, God, oh man, a really big show. It's been so long. But they they mentioned it or worded it like it couldn't be him. He's been dead, like me, me and my kid, which we were both there. So when the people saw that, they cried, thinking, you know, it was sort of sad seeing him and his son dead, you know. So mm. I like same thing. I like different twists and different endings to things. Yeah, and you have to make people feel like you have to like it's it's hard to make people feel emotional when with, with those films. Um, it's a challenge as well. But I, I mean, you just have to you have to care about the characters and you have to get in involved in that movie. And and that's, I mean, people always ask me like, what's the most important part of a movie? And and I mean, it's really everything. I know that's kind of a cop out, but I would say script, and then probably direction after that. And you can kind of you know the actors are are do do a lot of work as well, but. But if you have a, a good script and, and you can kind of, the actors should be able to pull out and create uh, those really rich characters and the audience will care about them. So nothing's worse than watching a movie and, and you're like, I don't even care about what happens to any of these people. Like it's, it's, um, it, it's just, it's just not enjoyable, right? And you're not, you're not invested as much as you should be. So, but so, I guess, I mean, I had a, a question too, like just, um, just in general was that, um, like what's the biggest challenge for for wrestlers getting getting into films um because i'm always surprised that there there isn't more movies featuring um people that have the, the, those types of backgrounds i mean and, and not the obviously the big ones but um you know i, I even feel i've always felt it was a challenge for for even big stars like even hogan i thought it was a challenge for him to get into like into into big films um what's what is what are the challenges for that do you think like just in your experience well go back real quick you said the the couple things you thought made a good movie the three things that i think make a good movie is casting location and soundtrack of course that Mm -hmm. but go now and answer your question that you know really i think what the answer to that question is is that um i remember the first movie that was offered to me was doing super shredder and the ninja turtle movie all right, now, I was involved in so many main event matches, they wouldn't let me go out and do that movie, so they gave that movie to Kevin Nash. So, one, we're not available to do these movies because we're so busy on the road. And really, Vince and wrestling companies don't want their wrestling stars to be out there doing movies because they only have, you know, two, three, four-year run, run, and they don't want them wasting it, you know, not being in the buildings. The second right. thing, thing, I think people have got this conception that, because, you know, I've got, 10, 15, 20 years of television time, you know, that doesn't give you the automatic open door to LA or to the movie world. You know, it's a, and you know this too, uh, both of you know this, the movie world is a tough world to get in. Even if, you know, I, I could probably line up all the independent films I wanted, but that's spending my own money getting to locations a lot of times, or not that, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not making a great deal of money. So it, one is just the big parts aren't out there available we know the rock really got lucky and fell into a good spot, but it's hard to fall into that spot. And 
Because when you're taking a spot in Hollywood, you're normally taking someone else's spot. You know what I mean? Because there's always these people lined up for this character or this looking character. You know what I mean? So I I, I think they want to keep those spots for their for their own a little bit, maybe. And I wonder, too, if The Rock didn't kind of push people away from from doing it. Not the wrestlers themselves, but the like Vince and the business. Because I know well, they got The Rock out there because now the WWE is out there because people are looking at The Rock. But now The Rock's gone. So they're kind of gun-shy to put any more wrestlers on the screen. Well, like I said, they always didn't want that to happen anyway because they didn't want them to have another avenue because then they, they won't be good business people for wrestling. Story about this, about The Rock, and I don't know if this is true, but once he got that big break into the acting business – at first, they wouldn't even invite him. I know he was in L.A. at one time, and he, he told a friend of mine that he was upset because Vince and them didn't invite him to come over to their show that night. and knew he was there doing a, a movie. But later on, they did go to him and ask him for help because they were suffering so bad. So they put him back on TV for that year. You know, I'm sure they had it planned out. You'd be here for one year, and they did that but because they needed The Rock worse than Rock needed them. You know, so... I think, again, they don't want that. And if they do want it, they want it in their own production companies. You know, I think Vince has his own production company, mm-hmm. you know, making movies. So they don't want you outside doing films outside their company, I don't think. Well, because Batista is doing the same thing right now. Like, he's becoming huge on film. This is the thing is, now, I don't know. I only see him on a couple things. He's not anywhere close to what The Rock is. No. No, he's, no. he's I mean? definitely big. Are we talking Cena? No, uh, but Batista. Oh, Batista. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I think Batista is um, like I feel like he's a little. I mean, I think he he kind of had the same thing happen to him though. I think I mean I mean even I think that he left and he wanted to go and do um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and he'd done a few things before. I think about uh, before that, but I mean, I think that. WWE at the time was very much like, well, whatever. We don't really think this is going to be a hit, and I don't know. There's something something about that. And then he left, and then of course, Guardians of the Galaxy with this massive hit. Now he's in all these. Now he's part of the Marvel universe, and he's done some really cool roles. In like, I mean, he was in the James Bond movie Spectre. He was in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Like just smaller roles. And I think I saw an interview with him once. That basically he said that he just likes making good movies, and so. He doesn't really matter what the part is. He he just likes being in in, in good films. So I think that, and I think that's. And then when he came back, there was I don't know. I, it's it's so weird how they don't embrace that because I think even even John Cena, I think like he hadn't really done a lot of films either. Now he's doing a bit more, but he hasn't necessarily retired. But he's nowhere to be seen right now, and he didn't really leave on good. Like he didn't let, he didn't leave on a bad note or a good note or anything like that. He just kind of like. He just disappeared for a while. Now he's shown up in 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 films. So I'm I'm always surprised that that they don't get behind, that WWE doesn't get behind that a little bit more because I think it's a great marketing opportunity. And if well, you hit something like Marvel, like it's 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 a home run, right? So I mean, well, you would think absolutely that um, that they would embrace someone who's a bigger star when they come back. That would just make sense, but don't seem like they want to do that. Well, they at least they didn't do it with Batista. It didn't seem. Yeah, I, I think the only guy that they've they've really done that with, um, and it wasn't for movies, but it was for was for UFC was Brock, and I think that it's interesting that that's they consider that to be like an outlet, and but but not 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 films for some reason. It's 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 just surprising to me because I feel like there's a lot of guys that 
I feel could have been probably more successful in film if they if they weren't working within um, the confines of let's say uh, one particular uh, um, or one singular production company. I think if they were on the market and, and hireable by other companies, I think they probably would have been a little bit more successful in the long term. But I don't know if that'll change. But it's interesting. That's all, that's for sure. No, I think you got a good point there, um, for sure. Because like you said, that you would think if someone leaves and comes back a bigger star, it makes your show much better. Uh, then, but when they like, I, I don't know this, but when Batista came back, he was here and, and gone so quick. I don't know if it's because he didn't feel comfortable or they weren't using him correctly. But Vince has a history of uh, showing that he doesn't make the right decisions on things like that. Is that just because it's out of his wheelhouse? Do you think, Sid? Like, do you think it's just a little? It's just it's just a different animal than the wrestling business, uh, and that's that's why those things don't happen. Or, you know, honestly, I, I've never asked him that, but I think history shows us. And if you take a consensus out there, people say he just doesn't want you doing anything that's not his. Like that's why he changes people's names. Like uh, this is one we can think of. Kerry Von Eric, you know, had a really strong. A name that could draw a lot of money. They called him the Texas Tornado. And instead of doing the claw, they gave him that silly discus punch, knowing he had a bad leg. You know, it just, again, they make so many bad decisions when they could have, of course, but that wasn't Vince and he didn't come up with it. And I don't know this. He didn't tell me this, but people suggest that when it's something like that, he's not going to do it and he's going to prove everybody, even if he, he's done this a million times where he thought he was proving everyone else wrong, but it, he was just proving everybody proving himself wrong because he couldn't you know get as much out of what he thought he could i'll give you an example guys he, he did this and i think this was one of the ways he he won a little bit so when you win once in a while you think you could do it all the time with uh the, the tag team the bushwhackers before they were these happy goofy guys in the ring they were like the meanest guys in the world hills so vince brought them in made them these goofy characters and um but it worked that one time you know what i mean so who knows? Uh, again, he thinks he can do it all the time, and and I think he's been wrong more than he's been right. So, are there guys in the business now, like uh, like on uh, in in any promotion that that you keep an eye on that you like watching now, or do you think there's like any next? They're always looking for the next big star, right? I don't know if anyone's really really touched on sort of what guys in the past have had recently. I mean, there's guys I like for sure, but I don't know if there's guys that have these, this mass appeal, but is there anyone you keep your eye on at all or when you're watching matches or, um, I forget about this guy when this question gets asked me, I think Brock Lesnar is about your biggest star out there, but he's been around long enough. So he's not, he won't be your next big star, mm -hmm. but this is what happens guys. When I hear someone say, Hey, this is your next big star. And they'll go, um, what is that Japanese kid? Um, Yakamore or whatever. I mean, nice. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but that guy's never going to get over in this business. I, I myself don't see anybody really out there like that. The one guy I do like that every time I hear his name mentioned, they talk bad about him. That's Roman Reigns. Like he's not doing this. He's not doing that. He's not getting over. I think he's one of the better, stronger talents. He's got everything going. He's got a great look. He works hard. He's a bigger guy. Uh, he's got great interviews. I don't see anything. I don't see this bad that everybody brings up about him. I haven't heard that in about a year, but you know, for a while there, that's all you heard. How bad he was. He wasn't getting over. He couldn't get heat. Well, I don't know what they meant by well, that. I think the thing is, I I always find like so. Roman Reigns' example is is a great example because I I actually really like Roman Reigns. So I liked him as a as a as a guy. I liked him as a wrestler, but I hated 
how, how what they were doing with his character. So a lot of the backlash, I think, from fans, and this is just, I mean, this is just me speaking, but I, I'm a lot of my few buddies that I have that I actually watch wrestling with, but like, they said, yeah, you know, it's like we we like him, we like the character. He's a badass character. He's built big, like, um, and he's like kind of a no nonsense dude, and and uh, but they just give him this all the scripting, this this, this scripted uh, uh, dialogue that seems so unnatural for him that he's he's not a guy that's. That that can I don't want to say he can't deliver it. It just sounds it sounds unnatural for him to de- deliver it, and so therefore it. I mean, a lot of people when he got when he when he got leukemia again and he went away and then he came back. That was I think when people realized. But that promo they did to say that he was leaving was like like an honest to god from the heart promo, and people believed in it. And when he came back, I think that's when a lot of people kind of started saying, "Look, it's not this is a guy. It's not it's not a character, right?" So. Um, but I just don't understand why they don't why they push that so much. Just let these guys kind of rock and roll as their own and see what comes out, and you might hit gold, right? So, well, again, I, I, it sounds repetitious and boring, but even in your interviews, the same thing. They're lining everybody up and go, "Okay, I don't want you to go past this point." Meaning, if they let two guys like me and Sean get out there in the day and just you know do a a, a shoot interview against each other, and he don't know what I'm saying. I really don't know what he's saying, and just let it go. Now, um, and when you're letting everybody, what happens is, is again, when they're, these guys are doing these interviews against each other, they're only allowed to say, get this aggressive or make themselves look this cool. Then they got to let the other guy be just as cool. I mean, when you got somebody, you know, writing down the words you're saying, it can never come across as real, right? No, yeah. That's a hundred percent true. You know what I mean? They see through that. I think the fans see through that. Uh, and I'll give you an example why, guys. Uh, it's been a while. And I don't know if this is the case or not, but I feel like it was. They did a spot in the match where they never do this anymore, where they actually mess up. And they actually, you know, when the, they do do that, the people in the audience used to go, you fucked up. You fucked up. Yep. Well, they don't do that anymore, right? Well, it's been about a year or so, maybe longer than that, uh, where it looked like they pur- purposely tried to do that. And it looked so bad, the people didn't buy it. And they didn't do their chant. So I think they've gotten the business to a point where it's so scripted that they know this. Now, I, I, I use this analogy too, guys. There's an there's a episode on South Park, and it's about, I think it's called WWF or something. But it's a little skit about how they've changed wrestling and Vince McMahon's coming to look at their wrestling to take the next big star. And <laughs> Cartman was a vet, Vietnamese prostitute, had 15 abortions or 19 abortions. And there was all these weird storylines. But what Vince ended up leaving with was an old wrestler like Bob Backlund that was in the old tights and stuff. No, but what I'm saying <laughs> is this. Wrestling has really gotten to that, guys. It's outside. It's, it's like South Park now. Where some of the you know, uh, scenarios and storylines aren't that far from being a Vietnamese prostitute that's had several abortions. It's not that far from that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, I, like, I think the, like, so one of my guys that I watch a, a lot is, is is Dean Ambrose, right? Or or John Moxley now that he's in the AEW. But he, you know, he did this big, this big interview where he said, it's so scripted, it's so ridiculous, and I'm not going to say this stuff. And he's like, not because I don't want to do what I'm being told, but just because it sucks. And um, so when he got the opportunity to jump, jump ship, he, he did. And now you watch his promos in AEW and they're like, they're fire. Like they're, right. they're you like, and because, and I remember this from back in the day as well, like from, from all the guys that were working, 
when when people got passionate and they started to get really really amped up like in the ring doing a promo like you believe them like you believe right. either they were they were they were emotionally charged or they were they were so ashamed of what somebody else had done to them or or they were just you know crazy or they were just like psychotic or they were just like um you know just ready to kick ass like i, I watch those ambrose promos or john moxie promos now and it's like i'm like wow like now that you're taking the wheels off they let this guy out of the cage a bit he's running wild and he, and he never like you you were saying like you know making sure you go to the line but don't cross it i, I mean i think that that's that's a good example too for for doing some of those fired up promos is say how far are you going to go and but i mean with that guy it's just and, and, and i mentioned cody Rhodes before but, uh, i mean kind of the same thing it's like i actually believe that these guys are they're that they're that charged up and and that makes me want to watch more and i when i watch wwe sometimes i'm like how are how are these guys not mad, more mad <laughs> no absolutely and i think that like Cody Rhodes or the interview with Moxley and stuff like that. You look at that guy and you go, wow, he's able to breathe now. You know, he's not held back. He's able to be himself. And, and like already you're noticing his interviews are much better than they were in the WWE. You know, so that's what you're going to see. And that's what, that's what A&E really has to offer guys is, and if they don't lose sight of that and don't do, you know, a thousand other things they shouldn't do, like never recognize the other company because when they do do that, they look scared when they talk about them. Just don't talk about them. You know, um, a couple of times when they try to explain what they were doing, just don't explain about those guys. Just right now, talk about yourselves because that's what people are interested in, you know. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Benner, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been an absolute blast. And uh, it definitely yeah. it definitely turned into a direction we didn't anticipate. <laughs> Oh, before we go, can we can we just talk a, like a little bit just about horror movies, like just real quick? Like I just want to know, sure. Sid, I just want to know kind of what your favorite horror flicks are. Well, my favorite horror fig, flick, maybe my favorite movie of all time, was uh, Silence of the Lambs. Um, for a couple of reasons, you know, it was the casting, uh, not so much location, but it was a mixture of locations. I guess it really was. But what I liked about that the movie as well, reading the book, is it never had a dull moment just as you thought it was going to get slow boom something else jumped in but that was one of my favorite all-time movies and had read the book so intently um i remember asking my wife i said have we've already seen this movie before she said no and so the book and the movie were almost identical mm-hmm. yeah i like that flick too what awesome. was your favorite uh, so I think my, my favorite horror movie of all time is, uh, it was probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, well, me, uh, me too. Yeah. For, for a number of reasons, I think it was like, it was, it was like one of the, one of the movies I watched where I actually like, I, I did feel like, like horrified at the end of that movie. And it's, it's interesting. And I, I do like the, the social commentary behind it, but you know, when Toby Hooper came back, the director came back from like, or sorry, his buddies came back from Vietnam. Like that's kind of where the inspiration of that movie came from. Cause a lot of his buddies came back like missing legs and missing arms and stuff. So, um, but I didn't find that, that out until after I watched the movie the first time. So, but I think that's probably my favorite horror movie. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I would say Hellraiser as well. is probably up there too, just because it's yeah. just, it's so crazy. But, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say those are probably t- two of my top favorites. Excellent. No, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sid. Like you, Oh, we got a little freeze going on. Too, I, I love takes the yeah. Now, of course, when I was a kid and saw that movie, 
I was told, told, and told that hey, this is a real story. So that really scared me. I, oh, I gotta say, the movie that scared me the most and affected me the most was The Exorcist. I forgot about that movie. I will not watch that movie again, no matter what. Uh, I'm not kidding, guys. It. Ch- I never slept in my bedroom again. I was scared of my sisters. Uh, here's. I'm sort of scared. To, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this. So my sister, Christine, we had a small house and I'd always walk by a room at night and I'd say, Oh my God, I think see someone in your window. She'd go, mama, I've seen you raise sleep from my room. So I had to put my sleeping bag down the floor. So I was that, this way. I'm not sleeping by myself. So one night my mother hears me say that. I go, Hey, Christy, I think I see someone in your window. She goes, mama. She goes, boy, are you trying to scare your sister? I went, Oh, no, ma'am. She said, are you scared? I went, no, no. I was scared to damn get chill bumps right now thinking about it. No, Exorcist scared me for life. So that's the scariest for sure. Now, I enjoyed watching Silence of Lambs and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I enjoyed watching it and it was scared me a little bit as well. But when she was at the end, man, that girl, she was so good at that part. I mean, I was like, I was like screaming for her. I was like, get out of there, you know? It was really well put together for a small budget film. I remember uh, my, a movie like that for me was The Shining. Um, yeah. Because, uh, you know, when I watched it the first time, I remember my, my old man was like, uh, hey, you want to see a scary movie? And I said, I said, oh, yeah, sure. And I was probably maybe like 10 at the time or something. And he said, he's like, great. He's like, it's got one of my favorite actors in it, Jack Nicholson. And it's a, it's a, it's a pretty scary movie, but I think you're old enough to watch it. Anyway, I watched it at like 3 in the afternoon. I remember, And it was like sunny out and everything. And that movie like traumatized me. Like I was, <laughs> I was like, it scared me for so long just because like, a Jack Nicholson is so crazy in that movie, and uh, and the the hotel that it takes place in is just so ominous and and weird. Right. So I used to get those feelings if I ever went into like, uh, um, like a like a like a building with a big room or or anything like that, right? Like a conference room or something. I'd always get like, I'd always remember the shining and how building, yeah. weird. And, claustrophobic it was and yeah yeah oh now I, I, as a kid my first scary m- movie i since we're just bringing up all kind of memories was uh the one with betty davis hush hush sweet charlotte you know i remember that head rolling around at five years old that was really dramatic but again exorcist and texas Ch- chainsaw massacre i was told both of those movies were real and this really happened so that really scared the piss out of me uh, i remember the exorcist man i couldn't go home i was so scared but <laughs> No, but as far as enjoying the movie with Silence of the Lambs and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think we're we're both agreeing on that one. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. I think it's time to get to a question. My time is yours. And we now have a question from Jeff in Atlanta. Jeff, what's your question? When, when are you going to get back to wrestling? Well, Jeff, good question. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, I, with um, the time that's gone by, actually, uh, when the people here with us tonight Barry Norman he's he's my writer one of my best friends and everything I think we had an idea one time to really go back and maybe do something you know worthwhile and time has gone by now I really just don't think physically I could do you know I, I don't know if I could handle the, the workload anymore but uh we are doing uh we are writing a book right now I still do a few autographs and stuff like that well we thank you for calling in all right I'll holler at you later, man. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. 
The Vicious Circle podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.